This morning we, uh, we continue in our series of uh, 1 Thessalonians. That's where we're at. We did, uh, we're we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. We did one verse last week, chapter 1, one verse. Uh, it can be done, and, uh, and, and we got there. But uh, I, I do want to uh, encourage you to just open your Bibles. Uh, nothing encourages a pastor more. I have to say this uh, correctly now than to see uh, Bibles on laps and hear pages turning. And to the next generation, nothing encourages me more than to see your device lit up before you. Please <laughs> refrain from checking your emails and make sure your ringer's off, Okay. Uh, as we go forward. What are the signs of a hope-filled church? What are the signs of a hope-filled church? It is real easy in today's parlance just to say, hey, my church is a, 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 you know, a happy church, or my church is a friendly church, etc., uh, etc., et and then let a, let a visitor loose in that crowd. Or, you know, uh, not too often, but try this sometime. Go be a visitor in another church where they've got a banner out front. Happiest church in town. If you're new, your experience may be different. Right? And we could say, I'm a hope-filled church. And I'm sure we are. But someone else's experience of that may be different. Had a, have a friend, and uh, he decided, got himself kind of into something. He decided he would do some counseling. He's a good pastoral counselor before he got just overly busy and overwhelmed in his ministry. Going to go to a, a community place where I can do some touch base with some of the locals and do some community pastoring. And um, this, is his, this is his first experience. He sits down. A homeless gal comes in, and she is in every way, shape, or form destitute. She has turned to prostitution, which has... She's got a young daughter, and that's ended up in some abuse for her. I mean, as this story is coming out, this guy is just like... You know, every bell, every red light, every concern is ringing. And he naively says, he finally, there's a break in the conversation, and he just kind of naively says to her, have you ever thought about going to the church for help? And this look of shock appears on her face. And she says, the church, why would I go there? I already am feeling terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. That is the ruling sentiment out there. Amidst our banner of friendly, hopeful, there is a group out there that sees things differently than we see them. What are the signs of a hopeful church? Let me give you several signs. We're going to, re- we're going to return to these, and we may get them printed up. But if you want to take a, so, some notes, you, you can do this. A hopeful church believes that God's best days are ahead. Okay? A hopeful church is, is on the, uh, you, you know, they're on the approach. They're not pulling back. They're not circling the wagons. 
trying to make sure that a hopeful church says the best is yet to come and we are looking forward to what that best might be. Uh, Number two, the the hopeful church takes God-honoring faith risks. The hopeful church is, is saying, we, 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 our belief is strong. We believe that God will sustain us if we take some appropriate faith-based risk. Instead of being risk adverse and kind of, hmm, maybe we should be in here. A hope-filled church is compassionate. And here's what I mean by compassionate. Compassionate sees the need out there. It doesn't see the problem. Okay? It sees people. It doesn't see things to be fixed. All right? And then uh, a hope-filled church knows uh, what they are for, not what they are against. Again, the church is overwhelmingly stuck in a place where it is so easy to be, whether we put ourselves there or not, and we often do, put ourselves in a place where everyone knows what we're against instead of everyone knows what we're for in the community. And a hopeful church believes in the resurrection. Okay, well, probably every church does, but here's what I mean. that That there is a resurrection that is going on not 2,000 years ago, but is going on in the life of the believers in which we are being reconciled to one another, we are being transformed and changed on a daily basis ourselves. It doesn't believe, I've got the resurrection and I'm trying to get it spilled on everyone else. It means I am participating, and then it also means, and that's now, it also means eternal life to come. This resurrection, there's a, there's a hope. We're going we're gonna to get, we're, as we get there, it's going to take us a while, we can get there. Paul's going to talk about the great hope. The great hope of the return of Jesus. And it's a glorious thing. So, thinking about all of those things, hope's foundation, it, it, you know, to believe God's best days are ahead, take God-honoring risk, we're compassionate, um, we, People know, not not us, but people around us know what the chapel family is for, not what the chapel family is against. And that we believe in the resurrection, that we are changing, transforming, reconciling people who believe that there is an end to all of this and a beginning to something way beyond anything else that anyone has ever seen. So Paul now, we're going to, you know, get ourselves, actually we, we did more than, than uh, I think we did uh, three verses last week. Uh, but Paul now wants to take us in terms of this church's foundation of hope in two directions. He experiences the first, he, he starts and plants, but it experiences the, 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 the Thessalonian church in his observations of them and their testimony back to him. Okay? And here's Paul's observations, verses uh, uh, 2 uh, and 3, parts, parts of 2 and 3. You know, I guess we did do one verse. Okay, look at verse 2. We always thank God for all of you. 
mean, I had to stop right there. So the, uh, Paul makes only observations out of his prayer life. Isn't that amazing? And when, when someone says, we always thank God for all of you, I'm thinking, I don't carry around the directory enough. I mean, I'm praying for a lot. Some of you are just on my eternal Rolodex prayer. You know, you're busy people, you're doing stuff, and I am. But, but for everyone in the church, all the time, that's, that's amazing. That, that Paul's observations are, are and, and so it says, we mention you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, one, your labor prompted by love, two, your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to unpack that. Paul's observations are these three things. The first is your work produced by faith. So what is the work that produces faith? And that's, we've already bumped into this, but we're going to keep seeing it again and again. It is the ability to take on the challenge of faith risk. The work, there's a lot of work we can do around here, but, but much of it doesn't need our faith. We're, 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 we're homegrown, many of us homegrown Christians, we know it. So some of the stuff we can do just, uh, you know, on, on speed dial. We just do it. But, but he's talking about a church who has a work of risk that produces faith. You see, the Thessalonian church believed God for the unbelievable. They started in a synagogue. If you want to just write yourself a note, read Acts 17. You'll get the story that, that Paul is referring to here. They started off in a synagogue. They, they got so much Jesus going that they got kicked out of the synagogue. That's way too much Jesus. So then they started a church, and the community started persecuting that church. And about the time you think you'd roll up your tent and say, I don't think a church is going to work well in this community. They believed in God. They said, we are staying. We are here, and we are, we are going, to, we, we are going to, to meet are persecutors in a unique way. That, and that's number two. They had a labor that was prompted by love. So what is a labor that is prompted by love? It is sacrifice in hardship. All of you that have been parents or grandparents know how to sacrifice hardship for your children or your grandchildren. We just, we do this. And in the, in the Thessalonian church, they started an unconditional love, foot-washing ministry to those who were, had their, their boots on their throats. They didn't say, hey, we're going to get our rights because we, we deserve to be, and we got all the permits, and they can't stop us. They didn't do that at all. They went to the persecution. They went to the place where they were seen as small and we're going we're gonna to just eradicate this movement. And they said, we're going to reverse bomb them with love. Wow. I mean, this is, you know, I, this is what I love the Bible. It's pretty contemporary. It'll tell us what we're doing right and, and, and what we're not doing. It just reminds me of, of, of Romans uh, uh, 5 8. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, they were so young in the faith that they still believed that because Jesus loved them unconditionally as sinners, that the sinners that were bringing hellfire on them should be loved the way they were. about how amazing that transformation would be in a community in which the enemy was understood as Jesus understood his enemy. Love him. The only way to make an enemy a friend is to love him. And, and, and this is, that's, that's the labor prompted by love. And then finally it talks about an endurance inspired by hope. You see, an endurance that inspires hope is a godly patience. Believing in God's promises versus the world's If you just looked at the score right now, Christians this, world this, we are way behind. But I'm here to tell you, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I am here to say we know the end of this. Are we going to just sit in place, helmets on, heads buried, and, until uh, that resurrection comes of life? Or are we going to believe that we own the end of this story because Jesus owns us? And we have an opportunity to be filled with hope and the power of the Holy Spirit and make a real difference in this place and time. Who are we? For, not who are we against, believing in the resurrection, compassion that sees uh, people, not problems, God-honoring risk, believing that our best days are ahead. This is, this is powerful stuff. Uh, back a few years ago, the, uh, this, this uh, tragic incident happened in Pennsylvania. Some of you will remember it if you're, if you're a newsie at all. Um, a, a man with a loaded gun walked into an Amish schoolroom and shot a handful of children, at which point the Amish community that very night, sh and then shot himself, showed up at that man's house because they were grieving for that the, 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 the you know, house. They went to his place and made sure that that widow that new widow, had a meal. And they sustained her. And they encouraged her kids. And the news media and everyone, the world stood still. They were shocked. I mean, there, was, there, was no, there were no words. I mean, the Christian community knew that this was all about. And people that were critical of Christians around the world knew that this was the kind of Jesus who just hadn't seen it in a couple thousand years. Everybody knew that was right. You see, this, this is work that produces faith. This is labor prompted by love. This is endurance inspired by I, I love this, this verse. It says, and with Hebrews 11, and without faith it is impossible to please God because everyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who earnestly seek 
They did it. That's what they were doing. This is Paul's observation. He moves on now to the, to the church's own testimony. And, and the, first, uh, the first thing they were in this, in this testimony that we're going to see now throughout the rest of the chapter is they were chosen. Look at verses 4 and 5a with me. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. This was their testimony. When the word was preached, all of a sudden, there was power, there was conviction, there was deep movement on the hearts of these people. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's some uh, sociological, cultural exegesis that goes on here that you need to know. The Thessalonians came out of, were influenced by two things. On one side, they were influenced by paganism. And in paganism, it's always about how big is your offering? What big thing can you give to God to say, boom, God, I pleased you? And not far behind it was Judaism that had a whole bunch of rules and regulations, and we'll just stay with the Ten Commandments. That's enough for me. And if we could keep those, then, whoo, I'm in. I, in fact, the, the, the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and, 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 and profoundly, but, but, uh, but wrongly said, I've kept them all, Lord. I've done everything. So keeping that in mind, he says they were profoundly moved because they were chosen. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ clicked for the Thessalonians, and they realized they were saved. Now, I was having this discussion a few years ago, and, and someone came up to me and says, Pastor, wait a minute, wait a minute, I gave my life to Jesus. Paganism, Judaism, I... I did you hear that? I know we give our lives to Jesus, but I, I just want to get the emphasis on the right syllable here for a moment. I just want us to think about what this passage is really saying. How many people that are saved by a lifeguard say, oh, well, I gave my life to the lifeguard. That guy was saved. We are saved by Jesus. And, and here's what I want you to know. And I know you know this, but just put on that reminder brain for a minute. Chosen people are humble and grateful. Self-sufficient people are righteous and prideful. And as Christians, sometimes we forget we're chosen. As Gail would say, ouch. Get that. Paul says, your testimony is that you were humbled, chosen people. Wow. This is why the Thessalonian church has, has huge impact. They did not forget that. Verse 5b and 6. You know how we live. This is Paul saying, remember, uh, Paul, Silas, and, T and Timothy. We, you know how we lived among you for your sake. So they're saying example, right? You became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. He says we probably wouldn't have been, had we gotten an email, because by the way, if you read that, uh, that uh, Acts story, Paul, Silas, and the rest of them, they got out of town. They pushed them out through the back door because the crowd was going to kill them. So I don't imagine they could have, you know, the response would have been if on their smartphone it says, hey, we decided to shut the church down for a couple of weeks. They might have got a pass on that. But Paul's saying, that's not the testimony we got. The hotter it got, the more mighty you got in Jesus. The, the more you gave yourself, the more that you joined us as believers in imitators of Christ. But he doesn't stop there, and neither does the testimony. Check out the last three verses of the chapter. And so you became a model. So that chosen, imitators, and now models. <laughs> the church is a couple months old. I mean, think about what, what raw, brave, courageous hope this is. Could we, could we be like this? Is a message of such bright hope maybe a little discouraging to us? Could be. Remember, let's listen to the shepherd, not the thief. Jesus says, yes, this is, this is what I want for chapel. Yes, you can be there. Butte became a model to believers in all of Macedonia. So Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, however you want to say that, that little town started sending out a beam, a tractor beam of, of Holy Spirit light in every direction possible. Jesus is alive here. This is the new thing. Paganism, Judaism, humanism, it's all going out. Jesus is coming. And Achaia, which was another group. The Lord's message rang out from you. We're going to come back to that word. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known, here, here, here is Paul again, everywhere. What a testimony. Everyone's talking about this little church. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So you see, this word here that go back, rang out, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing word. It means like, like a trumpet blast. You were a trumpet blast of good news. Focusing all over their corner of the known world that knew nothing about Jesus. Everyone was scratching their head. It was kind of like that Amish event. They were saying, oh, it's the real thing. It's something like we've never seen before. 
People's hearts are changed. They're not focused on their Christian agenda. They're not focused on what they want to do for God. They've, they've let all of that go so that God can do what God wants to do through us. Wow. It's powerful. They found themselves trusting in Jesus in very difficult times. A.W. Tozier has said that the people who are crucified with Christ show three distinctive marks. And I just kind of give you a little illustration. This is crucified, right? Those who are crucified with Christ, number one, they are facing in one direction, forward. They ain't looking back, right? But the, the, the cross, if you're crucified with Christ, the cross won't let you. Number two, they can never turn back. They are fastly secured to a cross that isn't going to let them go until they finish God's work. And number three, they no longer have plans for themselves. How many times in the name of God, and for good reason, are we pushing our plans, our ideas, let me do this, I can do that, instead of allowing this powerful message to fill our hearts and say, what is it that God wants us to do? I want to close today uh, simply by asking a couple questions. Uh, you know, to, to take this to the where, what about us part of, of the sermon. How are you doing? How's your hope quotient, your HQ? How hopeful? And, and, and how is that touching others' lives? What is it about this hope? And then without, you know, rose-colored glasses, really... Not, not what we think or what we want. How is our church doing hope-wise? We've got plenty of people I know that can do things and see a need and we run off and do it. But, but it takes more. It takes hope to say, hey, before we go running off and doing the next thing, let's gather some people. Let's pray. Let's build, let's build some hope behind this. Let's find out if this is what God wants. Instead of, well, but this is, you know, every good church does this, this, this. Yeah, I get that. But maybe we're not supposed to be every church. When was the last time in thinking about this? And we're in a huge transition right now. And we're also at, at, a, at, a, at a huge crossroads. Keep praying for your search team and your LT. Because they're, they are deep in it with these things. Are we thinking about the church in terms of, of what, uh, what we want, what we need, how we think it should be? Or have we taken all of our best ideas and said, Lord, I would put all of my ideas in a bucket and gladly let you lower it over the side if you want to show me something that is more God-breathed more Holy Spirit invaded. More Jesus power informed. 
I think we could, I, 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 don't, I don't sit with a group of Christian people anywhere that can't do Christianity. Or what I call churchianity. And, and, and we need very little help from God. But to do Christianity, to take the next place, it, it, the, the crossroad before us is do we, do we do something about what's best for us and what we think needs to happen or, or do we do we do what God calls us to do, regardless of how counterintuitive that may look? Let me just go with this and a couple things. And, 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 uh, and by the way, I just hope you're, you could take these sermons, you could get, uh, get a hold of, we passed these out last week, I think we have some back there on the counter, if we don't, we'll get them. But uh, taking these sermons and working through uh, the, the power of some of these questions in your small groups or just as a family, couples. The signs of hope again. Believing that God's best days are ahead. God's best days are ahead for, for us. Not necessarily our best days according to our take God-honoring risk of faith. You know, believing strongly. Being compassionate, seeing uh, the need, not the problem. We are becoming known for what we are for, not what we are against. A positive place. Believing in a resurrection in which the church itself, not those outside of the church, are, are in a place of change and transformation and reconciliation. Jesus never asked us to fling our lives away in constant busyness and activity. But he did ask us this. Lose yourself in me and you will find everything you need to do. And everything you need to be. Don't just keep going. Lose yourself in me. Get intimate with me. Get filled with my power. Find yourself there. And then the, the last thing I want to say this morning is this. A vision without a task is merely a dream. Great, great dream. It's wishful thinking. A task without a vision, here's the Christian things we're doing, but we really don't know what the vision is, is drudgery. And after a while, we'll get tired of doing that. And we'll get weak. But a vision with a task is the hope of the world. Could we become clear, simple, and focused around these things? And then make our next big step. And allow God to lead us.